It's great to be with you again today. And before we get to the message, I just want to acknowledge what a crazy week this has been for all of us. And so without diving into political opinions or perspectives, I want to remind you of this. And really, it was the message from last week that the world is watching us. The world is watching people of faith. Remember, we talked about Abimelech being in a window watching Isaac and Rebecca last week. Right now, unbelievers are watching how we respond. And so let me just encourage you, people of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's be people of mercy. Let's be people of gentleness and kindness. Let's watch how we respond, working through our emotions. Let's be people of faith. Would you do that for me? And more importantly, do it for the kingdom of God. Amen. So in his book, Simply Christian, N.T. Wright says this about the Bible. He writes, it's a big book full of big stories and big characters. They have big ideas, not least about themselves, and they make big mistakes. It's about God and greed and grace, about life, lust, laughter, and loneliness. It's about births, beginnings, and betrayals, about siblings, squabbles, and sex, about power and prayer, and prison, and passion. And that's only the book of Genesis. As we continue to work our way through this book of Genesis, if there's one thing that we've learned, it's that the people of God called to fulfill his purposes and promise all had issues. Adam and Eve, their kids, Cain and Abel, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the community at the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, and their kids, Ishmael and Isaac. These families had serious problems. And here we are now at Genesis 27, and it's more of the same with Isaac's family. I mean, they could have been featured on the Dr. Phil show. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine Dr. Phil speaking to them and saying, today we're going to hear from Isaac, whose dad almost killed him up on a mountain. Why? Because God told him to do it. Isaac's own son, sons haven't even spoken to each other in years. Esau, the oldest, how could you be so dumb that you would trade your inheritance for a bowl of stew? Rebecca, you obviously favor your youngest son, Jacob, because you've spoiled him rotten. And Jacob, don't even get me started on you. Your lies, deception, your scheming, they're all destroying your family. And one day it's going to catch up with you. In fact, I'm, I'm not even sure if I've seen a more dysfunctional family than this. Don't all of you see your patterns of behavior that you're passing down to generation after generation? This family is a mess. I think the episode would go something like that. But if you and I are honest with ourselves today, each of us probably can relate to this dysfunctional family in one way or another. Our families aren't perfect either. We've all made mistakes. We have shameful pasts. However, just as God stuck with Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob, 
and use them to fulfill and accomplish his plan and purpose, God sticks with us and he desires to bless those around us and fulfill his purposes even through our dysfunctions. The entire book of Genesis and this story in chapter 27, it's not one of role models and superheroes. It's the story of a God who loves broken people and by his grace works through them to bring hope and healing to all who are broken and lost. It's about how God never disowns us, never leaves us. And when we make a total mess of our lives, even when we can't imagine how anything good can come of it, it may be a dysfunctional family, but it's still God's family. That leads me to the title for today, The Dysfunctional Family of God. Let's pray. I thank you today, Father, that you are here with us and that you are guiding us and that you are speaking to us through the power of your word. May we open our eyes to see your word and to see the goodness around us. May we open our ears to hear. Would you use this vessel today, this imperfect vessel for your purpose and help us, this dysfunctional family, to represent you well in the kingdom of God. Amen. Now, to fully understand the significance of what's happening here in Genesis 27, we really need to take a look back to God's spoken word to Rebekah concerning her twins Esau and Jacob back in Genesis 25. So we're going to go back to chapters, and I want to read to you out of Genesis 25, starting at verse 21. Remember, Pastor Ross preached on this. The Bible says, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she, this is Rebecca, went to the Lord and asked about it. And she said, why is this happening to me? And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And your older son, that's Esau, will serve your younger son, Jacob. Now, this was a complete cultural reversal. Younger sons did not serve the older sons. It was the exact opposite. And it was amplified in that culture. Surely you would think that God speaking this to Rebecca, it would have been a conversation that she had shared at some point with her husband Isaac. And it was something she certainly had always hid in her heart. So now we go to Genesis 27. We're going to start at verse 1. This is our text for today. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and he said, My son. Yes, father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then listen to this. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Now, if not paying attention, we may miss the subtle insight into the relationship 
between Isaac and Rebekah in these verses. Either Isaac was not aware of what God had spoken to Rebekah years ago and that Esau would serve his younger brother Jacob, or we here find Isaac trying to circumvent God's will because he favored his oldest son Esau. Whatever the case, there's some major dysfunction going on in this marriage and in this family. So without reading the entire chapter, let me give you a summary of what happens. Rebecca then, here she's listening outside Isaac's tent in this conversation he's having with Esau. And she overhears Isaac telling Esau, go hunt, prepare a favorite meal, and come back because I'm going to give you, Esau, the blessing that you deserve as my oldest. Well, in return, Rebecca goes and seeks out her favorite baby boy, the youngest, Jacob. And she begins to scheme to thwart Isaac's plan. She tells Jacob, she tells Jacob not to go hunt, but rather to go to their flock and to bring her two goats from their flock in which she will take and then prepare her husband's favorite dish. And then Jacob can take it in there and get the blessing. So Jacob sees what's happening here and he says, time out, mom. My brother is one hairy man. His arms are hairy, his neck's hairy, his back hairy. And if you look at mine, I'm smooth skin. And my dad will find out and instead of blessing me, he will curse me. And like any good mother would say to her baby boy, just do what I tell you, she says. Well, Jacob follows his mom's instructions and he comes back with two goats. Rebecca cooks the meal down. She prepares her husband's favorite dish. But then she goes a step further and she creates her best Esau Halloween costume. That's right. She takes some of her oldest son, Esau's clothes. She puts them on Jacob and then she goes further. She gets pretty creative. She takes the hair off of the goats and attaches it to her youngest son's arm and neck. So now Jacob, dressed in his best Esau outfit, goes into his dad's tent with his favorite meal. And he says, here I am pretending to be Esau. Dad, give me your blessing. Now, if you read the text, there are three times in which Isaac is like, wait a second. This doesn't sound like my oldest son Esau. And at one point, his dad even questions Jacob and says, how did you find this so quickly? And Jacob, on the name of God, taking the Lord's name in vain, says, on, on God's name, I am the oldest. And he lies. Well, Isaac eventually, as you know, falls for the deception and he blesses Jacob. And then, of course, Esau returns and he's blindsided by the fact that his youngest brother, has stolen his blessing. So now we get towards the end of the chapter and look at this in verse 41. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death, he says. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. It'd be easy for you and I to put the focus of this family's dysfunction solely on the shoulders of Jacob. But that's not the case. Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob are all guilty of contributing to the problems surrounding this family. 
And it's telling here that in this chapter, think about this. We never find the family all together. Now we see Isaac in secrecy with his favorite son, Esau. We see the mom, Rebecca, in secrecy with her favorite son, Jacob. Each parent manipulating and scheming to accomplish what they desire of their favorite child rather than submitting to what God had already spoken. Isaac, he was most likely trying to circumvent what God had already ordained in Jacob ruling over the older brother Esau. Rebecca, she found herself taking God's plan into her own hands and not trusting that God would fulfill what he had already had spoken. Esau, in a chapter previous, it was revealed that he had married two foreign women, two Hittite women. And then he schemes to kill his brother Jacob. And of course, Jacob. He took advantage of his brother's appetite in Genesis 25. And here we see the depths of his deceptive heart. So Jacob now not only has tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright, he has deceived him out of this powerful patriarchal blessing. And this story unfolds with an incredible, sad tragedy. That the very family the Lord had brought together in order to bless all families of the earth tears itself apart with rivalry, favoritism, and manipulation. So, how does this dysfunctional family story relate to you and I today? Well, one, it's important to know that as people of faith, you and I, part of this congregation, we are the family of God. Paul writes these words in the book of Ephesians. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. You see, Paul tells us, and all throughout the Bible, people of faith, it's an analogy. We are referred to as the family of God. Those of you who are from Pittsburgh or your Pittsburgh people were the city of champions, you might remember the year 1979. We don't talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates a whole lot, and that's a whole other sermon. But in 1979, the Pittsburgh Pirates were in the World Series against the best team in baseball, the Baltimore Baltimore Orioles. And in this series, it was a game of seven. The Pirates were down three games to one. But the Pittsburgh Pirates had something that the Baltimore Orioles didn't. And that was a theme song. And there was a song that was written by a group called Sister Sledge in 1979 that this city and the Pittsburgh Pirates adapted as their theme song. If you know it, sing it with me. We are family. You got it. All All my sisters and me, we are family. Get up, everybody, sing. You can hear it playing in your head. That was the theme song. And this song united the city and the team. And here we are. We went on to win the next three games, and the Pittsburgh Pirates won the World Series. In fact, that was the last time the Pirates won the World Series. Well, that song, We Are Family, it could very well be the theme song for the body of Christ. We are God's family. John Chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who believed 
in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You and I share relationship with the same father, Father God. Matthew 12 Verse 50, anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We share fellowship with our siblings. I'm your brother in Christ. You are my brother, my sister in Christ. However, it even gets better. This family not only extends to believers here on earth, but to believers in heaven who are also part of God's family. Paul again writes, for this reason, I bow my knees Before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God's family is a forever family. We become part of his family here on earth. And after we die, we're still part of God's family in heaven. As people of faith, we are the family of God. And just like Isaac's family, we can be equally dysfunctional. Our family of faith our congregation even, his church, his global church, can be torn apart by rivalries and factions despite our calling to receive God's blessing in order to be a blessing to our neighbors with the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the church is not a gathering of perfect people who all have their stuff together. No, it's a gathering of imperfect people following the one who sees our brokenness and yet still loves us and calls us to bless others. This is why diversity is so important in the family of God. We all bring different perspective. We bring different experiences, opinions, and gifts to the family. Our personal families are very much the same way. And is this family easy? Nope. Is it sometimes messy, awkward, and challenging? Absolutely. Yet through the mess, through the awkwardness, the difficult and difficulty, God wants us to pull us all together. And through that, he wants to demonstrate to the world around us that he can make a beautiful mosaic out of the dysfunction. And let me say this. There are many people, some who may be watching this, that don't go to church today Because they get hung up on the fact that Christians are hypocrites. People who say one thing and they do something else. Now, while we absolutely should be people who glorify God by living out what we proclaim to believe. And don't get me wrong. I'm not pro-hypocrite. We need to work on that. We need to be better. We need to be people who live out what we preach but I hate to break it to you. Some of Jesus's closest friends were hypocrites. Jesus made room for Peter. Peter was in Jesus's circle, though he promised that he would never deny him, only to do so six hours later. There was even room for Thomas in Jesus's circle, even though he doubted him, even after the resurrection. There was room Believe it or not, even for Judas in Jesus' circle, even though Jesus knew he would eventually betray him. Today, we see that even through the hypocritical behavior of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob, God still used this dysfunctional family to fulfill his purpose. 
It's interesting to think that we can so easily reject the idea of going to church or being part of God's family because there are hypocrites in in it when those are the very people that Jesus spent most of his time with when he was here on earth. Jesus didn't have a list of requirements to meet for whom he would include in his family or circle. So why should we? And I have news for you today. God is still using hypocrites and dysfunctional families like ours to fulfill his purposes. The important lesson for you and I to realize today is this. God is sovereign over everything and he will work out his plan of redemption despite and sometimes through our dysfunction. But there's three things that I want to challenge you with and remind us of as we acknowledge that our family, the family of God, yes, is dysfunctional. And they're this. One, we must surrender our desire of control to the will of God. Unlike Rebecca, who wanted to orchestrate her own miracle and to take God's purposes into her own hands, we have to be willing to give up control and submit to the will of God in our family's life. Two, we must surrender our desire to control others. Let me say that one again. We must surrender our desire of control over others. Instead of controlling the family of God, if, it was, if it's to be the people he's called us to, to fulfill his promises, instead of controlling others, we need to submit to one another. And last but not least, we must surrender control to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who brings gifts, glues us together, and unites us. Today, I want to close by showing you a wonderful picture. Our very own Emma Shell put this together. And for those of you, you who watched the Sunday night celebration with Pastor Rock and Karen Dilliman, you may remember we gave him a picture of the front of this church, Allegheny Center Alliance Church. And that picture was a mosaic. You see, what we did was we scoured all of our hard drives and pictures that we had around the church, pictures taken from ministries, pictures taken of kids and families. It's really an adequate picture of this family of God here at Allegheny Center Alliance. And we made this mosaic of all these little pictures that showed the front of our church, the larger body of Christ, what makes up ACAC. And here's the thing. If I had that picture, they're showing it to you now. If you looked really close, you would see all the little people and the the little families and pictures. And throughout all the dysfunction that's there, God takes that and he makes a beautiful picture. And it's a wonderful reminder That God works through our dysfunction. Yeah, we're not perfect people. I'm not perfect as your pastor. But God still desires to fulfill his purposes to our community and to the world around us. Despite our mess ups. Would you allow me to pray with you today? Father, I stand here dysfunctional myself. Imperfect with all of my mistakes and quirks. But God, I'm a part of this family. Those watching today are a part of this family. And unlike 
what happened in Genesis 27 where there was manipulation and scheming and lying. I pray that you would bring unity that in the midst of our diversity and our perspectives, maybe now more than ever, that we would bring those together. We would offer them in submission to one another. And you would use this dysfunctional body for your purposes, that we would submit our will to yours, the perfect will that you have for this place, and that your Holy Spirit would empower us and equip us to love one another and to love our community. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I do want to remind you that right now there's going to be a video that answers questions concerning our Next Gen Faith campaign, the construction of our new hub, and the remodeling. So I encourage you to stay and watch it. God bless you.